ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 106, Pope Johannes. Johannes. Amazing. It's it's a different name, right? Because it's technically John. Yeah, but we aren't rolling. No, no, he's a Johannes. He's Johannes. That's a very G- German name. It is, because he's going to be our first German pope. So let's jump right into it. So, Johannes was born in Mainz in modern-day Germany, and his original name may have been Gilbert. Gwebert. (laughs) Gibert. Yeah, all of that. (laughs) Not just Gilbert. Johannes was born to English missionaries, and Mainz was a center for evangelization from England into the Germanic peoples. This is why sometimes he's known as Johannes Anglicus or John the English. In his youth, Johannes studied Latin and Greek at a monastery, likely at Fulda, established by these missionaries, and he was an excellent student. He fit in well, and in particular, he grew very close with one monk, whose name we unfortunately don't know. We don't get to find out his friend. They have this really super hardcore bromance that is constantly referred to, but just, he's just another monk. That's just all we know. His his monk name is now Arpies. Arpies! Okay, we will call him Arpies. So, so Gilbert, or Johannes, and Arpies, or unnamed monk, hardcore bromance. And when said unnamed monk Arpies, left the monastery for Athens to study science, Johannes decided to go with him. According to historian Peter Stanford, in the 9th century, Athens was the most appealing academic center of the East for the Western scholar, given that while Constantinople would be first and foremost, we have all those theological conflicts and the occasional iconoclastic controversy rearing its head. So if you wanted to go and study things in the East, you go to Athens. And once again, while in Athens, Johannes excelled, and as chronicler Martinus Polonus puts it, became, quote, proficient in a diversity of branches of knowledge until they had no equal. This led to an opportunity to go to Rome, where he was able to lecture and had, quote, great masters among their students and audience. So he is very, very smart. His talent and eloquent speaking ability caught the eye of the Roman Curia, and soon he was working as a church secretary, then as a papal notary, and then was appointed as a cardinal priest. So, this is a pretty substantial pre-papal career, which left him with an outstanding reputation. So then, when Pope Leo IV died in 855, Johannes was elected to be the next pope. Again, I quote from Martinus Polonus, quote, A high opinion of his life and learning arose in the city, and Johannes was chosen for pope. Bartolomeo Platina adds that the election was, quote, by common consent, which suggests unanimity, which we've seen is becoming more and more common, right? They get their, their noblemen up there and they just push it through. Now, unfortunately, we're coming up to this time period where 
sources are getting a little bit spotty. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, but it's just, we're getting there, we're getting right up to that Seculum Obscurum period, and as a result, we have no real details on what the first two years of his papacy looked like. There's just, like, nothing. Although we can presume, based on what we've seen, that maybe there was a waiting period for imperial confirmation, and this is why we have no commentary. All that we know about the first two years of his papacy is that he started to get really fat. Oh, why is that what they wrote down? They just wrote down that he got fat. That's not nice. Maybe, maybe it's, they're, they're just sad because Arpais, their bromance monk, is not around anymore. But the records suddenly proliferate in around 857 when Pope Johannes was in holy procession from St. Peter's to the Lateran Palace. Because while passing the street between the Colosseum and the St. Clement's Church, Pope Johannes Anglicus suddenly went into labor on horseback and gave birth to a baby because he was a woman all along. Oh my god, what? Pope Johannes is Pope Joan. Oh my god, why'd you do this to me? What is this bait and switch? You just got the historical account of what happened to all these people. They thought, Pope Johannes, this man, he's getting fat, but no. It's a woman. That's even ruder. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. Now, what happened next is up for debate. If we take the accounts of Jean de Mailly and Etienne de Bourbon, the people of Rome erupted in a rage when the Pope was revealed to be a woman. A pregnant woman giving birth in the streets, no less. Yeah, on a on a horse? On a horse. She I just... just... All of that, having given birth. No. <laughs> I know. Illogical. Just spontaneous birth. And this makes the people of Rome very angry. And so they riot, and they drag Pope Joan with her horse and stone the baby to death. What? So she gets dragged to death by her horse, they throw stones at the baby, and then they promptly bury her on the spot with a stone epitaph that read Petra Paterpaterum Papisa Prodito Partum, or O Peter, Father of Fathers, Betray the Child-Bearing of the Woman Pope. This was set to mark the spot and condemn her memory. The alliteration is very much on purpose, and the play with the multiple P's is used on inscription to represent the Pope generally, so they did this on purpose. Now, other versions of her story, like later editions of Martinus Polonus's writings, say that she was not murdered when her secret was so publicly revealed, but instead she was immediately deposed on the spot and exiled. That seems gentler. Much, much gentler, yes. I don't feel like I would be angry if the Pope suddenly gave birth. I would be confused. But I wouldn't be murderous. Confusion is a reasonable response. Rioting and murder, less so. So in this account where she was deposed and exiled, she lives out her days as a penitent, and the child she gave birth to grew up to be the Bishop of Ostia. And then when Joan died, her son had her buried at the Basilica in Ostia. Surprise! (laughs) 
<laughs> this is the legend of Pope Joan as it plays out in the sources. Okay. We're telling you the story that all medieval and some early modern individuals would have heard as they would have heard it. Of course, there is more evidence to suggest that this story is entirely untrue, and of course, so much more to be said on this topic. So next week, we'll be giving you the Pope Jones episode that you were expecting. Not this fake one. (laughs) Well, this is, in fact, the story, but we're going to dig into where the origins of the story come from, where the sources are, the arguments for and against a legend of a female pope and its ongoing legacy. But for now, it's just Johannes. And I'm so glad that we got all the way through it without you going, oh, this is Pope Joan, isn't it? Because I was so worried about that happening. Look, I'm, I had to do so much stuff with my brain today. I, I know, and I'm so pleased that it worked out that way, because if you're a new listener and you're not aware, um, in the first year of our podcast, we were actually interviewed by Smithsonian Magazine about Pope Joan, and everything that I wrote and did for that interview, I sent to you. So I was like, oh no, if I say Johannes Anglicus, she's going to go, hang on a second. But she didn't, and I'm so pleased. <laughs> I've been bamboozled. And that's why I couldn't tell you how many episodes uh, we needed to record, because I didn't want you thinking that anything weird was going to happen with this episode. It's all fine. We did it. Yay. So now we get to have the pleasure of rating Johannes Anglicus as if he were a pope. Yay. Is this blasphemy? We're just going to see how she would do. She's not going to make it into the finale. She's not actually going to be, we're not going to put her in a place that will mess up our, our actual score order. But let's just see how she does when we rate her. Papatum infallium. She has quite a lot of impact, but none of it is good. Within the church. The church being so deceived would have been an absolute destruction of papal credibility and prestige. No one can judge the Pope but the Pope. Well, but if they were able to, if she got into this position by deception, or as we will see next week, you know, maybe deals with the devil, this would have been a problem for the papacy. She lap dances for Satan. That. This was also represented in later periods of anxieties that the clergy and the public had about female influence in the papacy. The time period in which this myth becomes very popular is the time period that follows the pornocracy. You keep saying that word. Because it's happening. We're going to be talking about really powerful women influencing slash running the papacy. And that is part of why we have Pope Joan. She becomes a symbol for the excesses and wrongs of the church that will be heavily utilized by the Protestants to attack the sins and failures of the church. There is an entire street that we will talk about called the Vicus Papisa, which becomes avoided in procession by all future popes. And of course, we know about the chair, right? The, the chair that... The make a ball spell through a chair. We're going to talk about that a lot. 
in terms of Papatum and Fallium, I think it has to be a big fat zero because there's nothing good there. Oh, but I want to just give her points. What would you give her points for in this category? For being the best. (laughs) I mean, I honestly, if I saw a woman give birth on a horse and I found out that she was the Pope. She can have some points for that. Yeah, that's like, that's like the ironclad will of the papacy, right? (laughs) It's pretty badass. I guess that's mostly... The mostly seculare impact him because they had True. to be like watching her do that thing. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll give her a zero. Fructus prohibitum. She committed the biggest sin ten, that ten, she. Ten. Yeah, the biggest sin you could possibly commit is to be a woman, and so you are a lady in the non-lady spaces. (laughs) She's the lady in the non-lady spaces. She disguised herself to partake in education that was forbidden to women, clergy which was forbidden to women, everything. And we know that she took at least one lover, the monk in Athens, and that one of her lovers got her pregnant. There ain't no celibacy up in here. How is Bambi formed? How do ladies get pregnant? <laughs> Did you hear that Yahoo Answers is getting it's shut going down? going away. What are we going to do about pregnants? The n- new generation is just going to be woefully ignorant. It's fine. So ignorant. So again, she, she gave birth in the middle of the streets. Uh, she might have consorted with the devil to win the papacy. And then, you know, I'm just going to throw some words at you that they like to throw at women like she devil and whore. So it's just a 20. It's just yeah, a 20. Yeah, where's the She gets a 20 for being badass. <laughs> yeah. Seculari impactum. So, Pope Joan looms large in the popular imagination. This collection of episodes has been one of the most anticipated for our entire show. And there are numerous plays, movies, shows, pamphlets, books on Pope Joan that interest religious people and non-religious people alike. There's a full novel that we could read by Donna Woolfolk Cross called Pope Joan. There is a 2009 movie called Pope Joan that we're going to watch. Remember when I showed you John Goodman as Pope Sergius? That's what that's from, and that's why I didn't say the title of the movie. Why you gotta be this way? I thought we were friends. (laughs) Come on, I have been waiting to bamboozle you with this for so long. Also, there's going to be some secular eye impact and points for, for us here because we were interviewed by the Smithsonian about her in 2018. So I am impacted by that. So it's true. But you want to give her. Honestly, even in her, if, if the tales of completely mentally the secular people are true even that is like you know a lot of points and then she is just forever perpetual it's a 10 it's a, it's a 10 out of 10. 10 so she gets a 20 in secular impact way to go pope joan fossium sanctus there are so many images of her 
There's even an excellent book that covers both what we discussed in Seculare Impactum and the many depictions of Pope Joan. It's Craig Rustici's The Afterlife of Pope Joan. So if you want to see some Pope Joan images, there you go. That's where you go. So I am just going to send you uh, a bunch of them because we don't obviously have a traditional image to judge her on. So this is a very famous one from an illustrated manuscript from 1560. <laughs> Look at the monk looking at her. That's her lover. They're having a moment. She's definitely looking a little bit lady there, for sure. They used a lot of pink. Lots of pink, of course. And I like how she's, like, lifting her papal robes to be like, hey. <laughs> so this one is from Hartman Shadel's Religious Nuremberg Chronicle, published in 1493. This one has a babi. This is her with her babi. Why does she look so old? She got so many wrinkles. Well, you know, she's been trying to keep her secret. Stress will do that to you. I guess. Here she's listed, of course, as John the Seventh, which is just all around wrong. But yeah, this is a lot of what she gets known as is uh, either, you know, Pope Johannes or Pope John the Seventh or Pope John the Eighth. So there's that. We have a woodcut of Pope Joan giving birth. This is from a German translation by Heinrich Steinhauel of Giovanni Boccaccio's De Muleribus Claris. Oh, okay. Having a faint. Baby. She's having a faint. She's having a baby. She's not on a horse. No. Everyone else is dressed for the Spanish Inquisition already. They're ready. It's wrong. There is a statue at St. Peter's that people often look at and go, Ah, that's Pope Joan! They put her in in secret! It's not. It's just a pope who looks like a young boy. It's not Pope Joan. Then we have Pope Joan as she appears in the movie we're gonna watch. Looking real bad. Oh, yeah, she looks... They they clearly went for a Queen Elizabeth the First vibe with like really pale Pales, makeup. She needs forty five blankets to hide her pregnancy. Yeah, well, and, and well, we're gonna talk about that next week too. And this one I have listed on my on my notes as the baby is not mine. <laughs> I don't know where that baby came from. Everyone's just got their hands up like whoa, whoa. So. <laughs> It's still my favorite. It's Amazing. So dumb. I love that they're all like, nah. 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 Whoa. Based on those images, those depictions, uh, her general appearance as we have it, what do you think you would score her as? Probably like a, just a flat five there. Yeah, I think so too. It's, it's, there's nothing particularly impressive about her looks. There is clearly an effort on behalf of the artists to make it seem like she is concealing her sex. So generally she just looks like a man that a baby's coming out of. So yeah, a flat five feels fair, which is a 10. And when we score that out, she gets a 2.5. Tempus Pontificus. So if we take the most generally agreed upon dates for Pope Joan, this is thought to be 855 to 857 but ranges anywhere from 853 to 858. 
Martinez Polonis says it was two years, seven months, and four days, which would give her a score of 0.5. That's quite a long time. It's not bad. It's not bad to uh, hide. Apparently, she got got pregnant for two whole years. She had a long, horribly long gestation. Well, or she, she was just pregnant at the end, right? She and her lover could have been doing all the things that they were doing and not making babies until until that happened. So, you know, doesn't usually happen right on the first try. She just, it, it's noticed that sometime within that two years she got fat. So that's it. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round. Do, 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 do. Certainly not. The opposite of a saint. She is the opposite of a saint. Well, she devil and whore basically covers how she goes down in this. So that brings us to her total score, which is an impressive 43 points. She would have done very well. If she was an actual pope, she would have done relatively well. 43 would put her very... Very close to the top. She would have been in the top maybe 20 popes? Let's see. We covered... Yes, she would have scored more... No, she would be in essentially, like, ninth or eighth place. Oh, dear. (laughs) That would be a problem, yeah. Because our our last pope that we covered was Leo IV, and he ended up in 10th place with 41.75. And our other high scorer recently was Pope Adrian I, who scored in seventh place with 43.375, so she would have been eighth or ninth. So that's a thing that happened. So now I have to ask you the most obvious question when it comes to Pope Joan, and that's, is she papally enough and pizzazzy enough with an impact enough? To be awarded a papal bull? You know what? It would be weird if we didn't give her a papal bull. It'd be so weird if we didn't give her. I mean, she's not going to actually get one, but she is worthy of one for sure. It's it's a yes from me. But, you know, she has to go and sit on the chair and they'll verify her and be like, nah, you can't have this. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of our first episode on Pope Joan. Tune in next week for a whole lot more. We're going to end, of course, with thank yous, and we have some patrons to absolve of their temporal punishments. So we need to thank Scone Sale and Eli Shuetsky Robinson. I hope I got that somewhere near accurate, so. Ego te absolvo. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at pontifexpod at gmail.com, and we're pontifexpod on all social media platforms. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to Pontifax on Patreon. Checking out our research wishlist at tinyurl.com slash pontifaxwishlist, or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash pontifaxpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes makes a world of difference. And with that, we could say thank you and goodbye. Goodbye! Goodbye!